We are looking at session number seven, session number seven in our series of studies. And we will be covering from Exodus chapter seven to chapter 11. Now, this is not going to be a marathon verse by verse study, but this is going to be a study on the 10 plagues uh, that uh, the Lord sent upon the nation of Egypt whereby God revealed himself to Pharaoh and the Egyptians through Moses by doing many, many signs and wonders. And especially in these chapters, we find these 10 signs and wonders. Now, the word plague doesn't actually appear in the description in the scriptures. Okay. Now, the Bible speaks about it as signs and wonders. If you look at Exodus chapter 7 and verse 3, the Lord says, I will multiply my signs and wonders. I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I do. That's what the Lord mentioned to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 20. So these are signs and wonders. But why do we call it a plague oftentimes? A plague you know, is basically a blow or a wound that happens. And then it is more like you know, you know, when something strikes you, when an illness strikes you in mass numbers, we call it a, a plague. And that will definitely be descriptive of the Lord striking the Egyptians with these 10 different signs and wonders that he did. So that is why it is okay, you know, to call it as the 10 plagues. Secondly, the plagues in general move in a direction of increasing severity. It starts off with the least, and which was the least? Turning the river Nile into, you know, blood. That was the least, that was the least. Then from blood, it went to frogs, to gnats, to flies, to livestock, to boils, to hail, to locusts, to darkness. And finally, the death of the firstborn. It's like uh, now if you first saw the first sign of, the, of Nile turning into blood, you would never have dreamt that it's all going to end with the firstborn right from the top right till the bottom of all the sons of you know, the children of uh, uh, Egypt, all the firstborn would be killed. That this is the direction it is going. This is how severe it is going to happen. <coughs> Thirdly, the plagues probably took about 40 days. For some, it is mentioned it was a week this plague lasted. But putting all these things together, roughly, it would be for around 40 days, okay? Now, try and picture yourself. You're living in the land of Egypt for 40 days consecutively, one plague after the other, one plague after the other. One goes, the next one comes. One goes, the more severe one comes. Life would have been really, really very bad, isn't it? Now, when you're thinking of a pandemic worldwide, we speak about the havoc that it has caused. But think, for 40 days in the land of Egypt, 
how they went just from the river Nile turning into blood till the firstborn is found dead in their homes. Something very, very tragic has happened. Now, when you're thinking about this, the natural question to you would be, why did God send the plagues? Why did God send the plagues? So let's look at the purpose of the plagues. And the scripture very clearly tells us that the plagues were brought upon Egypt so that Pharaoh and the Egyptians would know that the God of the Jews is the Lord. Exodus chapter 7 and verse 5 tells us, And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. So the purpose of these plagues was that they would know who God is. The purpose of a pandemic, purpose of a calamity, purpose of a problem is that through those tough situations, we would recognize who is really in charge. The Egyptians thought they were the bosses. God was telling them, hey, look here, you, know, you are not the boss. I'm the boss. I control things. You know? So that at the end of it all, they would recognize that there is no God like the God Jehovah. And similarly, even in our lives, when we go through hardship, sometimes we may have a question, God, why did this happen? Remember, God allows these things to happen so that our focus would be on him to say, Lord, you are in charge. Oftentimes we think we are in charge and things are going well. And suddenly when something happens, you know, and as they often say, when you're lying flat on the bed, the only way to look is to look upwards to God and say, God, please help me. So the Lord sometimes allows these things into our lives so that we can recognize who God is. Now, some people may ask, why 10 plagues? Why not 9? Why not 11? But in biblical numerology, number 10 represents completion. You have the 10 commandments, you have the 10 plagues. Okay. Now, some other people may also say, hey, did this really happen? Is this historical that these 10 plagues actually took place? You know, people who don't believe the scriptures, people who don't believe the Bible, they say, no, this is the story that people wrote so that you will learn some good lessons. No, no, they are not stories. They are actual incidents. And the God of the universe is the God of history, is the God who works in history and creates history as well. So when God is working, the question would be, do you recognize that he is working? Even today, when God is working in the world and in your life, do you recognize that he is working? Or do you think, oh, it just happened? Coincidence. It just happened by chance. Nothing is happening by chance. God is the one who is in control. So when God is working and trying to capture your attention, because that's what he was trying to get to the Egyptians to acknowledge that there is no God like God, Jehovah. You know, when God is trying to get your attention to whatever situations you are going through, the question would be, are you listening to God? Or are you hardening your heart like uh, uh, Pharaoh? Is God getting through to you like he did to Moses? Even though you may have different, different questions like Moses had. Or are you shutting God out like Pharaoh tried to do? That's the question we must look at. Even when we are looking at these 10 plagues this evening, ask yourself, God is trying to get through to you through different means. 
to his voice or are you shutting it out? So now let's look at the 10 plagues this evening and learn some important lessons. Now many people are familiar with the 10 plagues themselves, but not many would be able to understand the full impact that it had on the land of Egypt. The plagues not only you know, decimated or destroyed or brought everything down in Egypt, both physically and economically, but more importantly, they decimated them spiritually. In other words, each of the 10 plagues was targeting a specific Egyptian god or goddess or a combination of them. And God was telling them, hey, look here, these are not the gods who are real gods, okay? I am the one true God. So through each of the plague, God was targeting one or more of the Egyptian gods and helping them to recognize, you thought this God will save you? No, no, that God is not going to save you. It's only I who can save you. And a lot of times people have different gods in their own lives. Today you may not be worshipping an idol as a god, but there are other things that you can worship. And God will try and put you into situations so that your dependency on that is not there anymore. That God has failed you, helping you to understand that the gods of this world, whether it's your popularity or success or money or prestige or whatever it is, you know, that that will never really give you satisfaction. So let's look at the plague one by one and also look at the Egyptian god that was targeted. The first one is the plague of blood. In Exodus chapter 7 and verse 17, we read, Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. They shall be turned into blood. So God miraculously changed the river Nile to blood, killing the fish, making the water stink, and preventing the Egyptians from drinking from it. And this plague targeted the Egyptian god Hapi, which was the god of the Nile and was also known as the spirit of the Nile. The Egyptians worshipped the Nile god as their daily source of life and sustenance, since it was the waters of the Nile that watered their crops, gave them water that was necessary for drinking, cleaning and bathing, and also the fish that was there for their eating. So just imagine, at one stroke, all these things were taken off from them. And not only just taken off, the whole place was stinking. When you have dead fish in a stagnant water, you know, it's going to stink. And the whole land was stinking. And it is interesting to note that the Pharaoh's priests were able to duplicate this plague, but they were not able to reverse it. They said, oh, you only you can do it. I can also do it. Okay, here's water. I'm going to change it into blood. And it happened, but they couldn't bring it back. Now, how did Pharaoh respond to this? Exodus chapter 7, verses 22 and 23 says, you know, Pharaoh's heart became hard, not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Instead, he went back to his palace and did not even take this to heart. That was his response, okay? So what? You know, life will go on. 
That was his response. I'm not going to respond to what you're saying. The second one is the plague of the frogs. The plague of the frogs. Exodus chapter 8, verses 2 to 4 says, Behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs, which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, into the houses of your servants, on your people, into your ovens, and into your kneading bowls. Water into blood was not bad. Now suddenly overnight, you have frogs all over the place. You know, you're sitting on a chair, there's a frog over there. You're sitting at you know, your meal at the table, there's a frog on your plate. You know. You're going for your bath, there are frog, frogs everywhere. He said, okay, I've had enough, I want to go to sleep. You go to sleep on your bed, there are frogs everywhere. It must have really, really been very chaotic. And not only looking at the frogs, maybe the simultaneous croaking of the frogs would also have been very, very interesting irritating to them. Now, the outbreak of frogs you know, was you know, symbolic of the Egyptian god Hecate. It was targeting the Egyptian god Hecate. Now, she was a frog-headed goddess and represented resurrection of the dead and fertility. Now, this was symbolic of the frog-headed god. Now, they had a god like that and they believed that this god was the one who was you know, able to give children and you know make people fertile and you know, and also speak about life from the dead. Now, even in our country today, we have people who have so many different, different gods for different, different things. And they say, if you can appease this God, then he'll be happy and give you that which that God represents. So, the Egyptians also had the same. Now, when all this happened, Moses said, okay, you know, I'm going to set a time. You know, you're asking it to be removed. I'll set a time. By this time, it will all disappear. Now, God took away the frogs at the appointed time. But with the pressure being up, changed his mind. Now, is that your response at times? You plead to God, God, please do something. Please touch me. Please help me. Please heal me. You know, please give me this job. Please give me this particular you know, career. Please give me this particular seat. And God gives it to you. And then once that seat is given, then you're forgotten about God. You're back to square. And that's what Pharaoh did over here. The third plague is the plague of gnats. The plague of gnats. In Exodus chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, we read, so the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land so that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And it became lice on man and beast, on man and beast. This third uh, no, plague arrived unannounced. The first two were preceded by an announcement from Moses and Aaron, but this was not. And actually, this was really a pattern. Every third plague that came was without any warning. Okay? And this plague targeted the god Kepri, who was the god of beetles and the flies. It was the god of the beetles and the flies. Immediately soon after the small lice, you, know, you have the next one, the flies, the same god that is targeted. The plague of the flies. 
Exodus chapter 8 and verse 21 says, And God warned Pharaoh, If you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants, on your people, and into your houses. Now, one fly, two flies, you know, around your food, you know, coming and you know, sitting on you. It is very, very irritating, isn't it? But imagine swarms of them, that's what the Bible tells us, swarms of them filled their houses, filled their open places. But did Pharaoh respond? Pharaoh told Moses he would let the Israelites go if Moses would get God to take away the flies. But once again, once relief came in, Pharaoh changed his mind again. So characteristic of human nature today, isn't it? As long as you're in a problem, you cry out to God. When God solves a problem for you, you forget about God. Now, you may say, you know, Pharaoh did that. But look at our lives. How do we behave when God sends these things into our lives so that we would recognize who he is? But instead of turning in repentance and following after him, it is only an immediate momentary change of heart. Fifthly, the plague of pestilence on livestock. The plague, the plague on pestilence on livestock. Exodus chapter 9 and verse 3. Behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, and on the sheep. A very severe pestilence. A very severe pestilence. The Egyptians not only had cattle, they would have also worshipped these animals. And maybe that's how the Israelites, you know, they would have got the idea of the golden calf. Okay. Now, this plague targeted the god Apis, who was in charge of the livestock as well. Now, this unique thing about this particular plague was in Exodus chapter 9 and verse 4, it tells us, the, God, the Lord says, the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. In other words, you know, only the livestock of the Egyptians would be killed. The livestock of the Israelites would not be. Now, that should have shown, hey, there's a difference in the God, you know. But what did Pharaoh do? You know, even though he sent people to investigate whether this was really true or not, his heart was still very, very hardened. Now, you may look at your life. You may look at the lives of the people of the world. You may look at your life and understand God has done you know, some great things in your life. You know. If it were not for the grace of God, you'd be living like the people of the world. But even in spite of that knowledge, you can still live your own life. You can still live a hardened life, not responsive to God like Pharaoh. The sixth one is the plague of boils. The plague of boils. In Exodus chapter 9, verses 8 and 9, it says, So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves handfuls of ashes from a furnace, and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens, and it will become fine dust, and it will cause boils that break out in sores on man and beast. Now, I mean, say, hey, that's not bad, you know, just a boil, isn't it? Now, if you have one boil with pus in it, how much does it pain you? And if your whole body is full of boils, it's full of pus, 
how much is it not only going to pain you, it's also going to be in a sort of an irritant to you. And also, you would not be willing to even look at yourself for the state that you're in. It would really be very, very tragic for you and for people all around you. And this plague targeted the god Imhotep, which was the physician god, which was the physician god. Did change his mind? No, still hard. Then the Lord sent the plague of hail, the plague of hail. Exodus 9.22 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, and on every herb of the field, on every herb of the field. Now, all the warnings that have gone ahead, in spite of you know, all the, uh, if you were to say, taking off of the plagues, once Pharaoh said, okay, I will change my, change my mind about it. In spite of God responding to the prayers of you know, Moses in this regard, still fun. So the hail is sent. Okay, Now, this plague targeted the goddess Nut, who was the goddess of the sky represented as the vault of the heavens, representing the vault of the heavens. Now, I wonder if you have seen hail. Maybe you have seen only the small stone-like things that come down and say, oh, it's hail. But think for a moment, if there are big stones, big rocks falling, and sometimes these hails can damage houses, can damage your cars that are kept outside, and definitely it would have been very bad for the crops that were there. And that is what was targeted over here, isn't it? Yeah. 9 verses 27 and 28 tells us, Pharaoh's hard heart now slowly begins to become a little soft, but only temporarily. Exodus 9.27 says, Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. He says, This time I have sinned. This is the first time he acknowledges that. He said to them, The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord, for we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go. You don't have to stay any longer. Okay? He says, I have sinned. But still, he changed his mind. That and say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I have done this. Please forgive me. Okay. And then when forgiveness comes in, after some time, you're back doing the same old thing again. No repentance whatsoever. Then the Lord sent them the plague of locusts. The plague of locusts. Exodus chapter 10 and verse 4. If you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory locusts into your territory. Now, swarms of locusts can come and eat away large areas of crops at one shot, at one shot. So these locusts, what they basically did was wiped out every part of the food that was available through the fields, through the crops that were grown there. Okay. So what has happened so far is, first of all, the Egyptian diet of fish was removed by the water turning into blood. Then the livestock, you know, the meat was removed when there was a pestilence on the uh, livestock. And now the crops of the field are all eaten 
by the locusts. And this plague targeted the god Seth, who was the god of the desert, storms, and chaos. They said, okay, now this is the god who, you know, sends down all this. And God said, okay, you believe that this is the god who sends this? No, I'm the god who sends this because I'm also the god who can stop this, stop this. At this point of time, Pharaoh's priests, you know, are so fed up that Pharaoh is not responding. And they come to him and says, please, you know, listen, you know, please listen. It is sufficient. Enough is enough. You know, we are all suffering. And sometimes that's what happens, isn't it? The leader on top, you know, his ego is so upset. His ego is so hurt. He says, I'm not going to change. But the people under are suffering. And they come and cry out to Pharaoh. Pharaoh admitted that he was wrong. And he agreed to let the you know, Hebrews go. But after the locusts went, he again changed his mind. Okay, then you have the plague of the darkness. Plague of the darkness. In Exodus chapter 10 and verse 21, 10, 21, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. In other words, when you say which can even be felt, it is so thick a darkness that you cannot see your hand in front of you. Now, if there's some little light and some shadow, you can you know, sort of you know, see caricatures, see shadows, and it's okay, here's this person, or here's this you know, thing. But if it is pitch dark, you can't see a thing. What will happen to your movements? You're not going to go anywhere lest you bang yourself or get killed somewhere. You know, you are stuck in that one place, okay? Can you imagine this oppressive effect that would have had on everyone? Especially after maybe now, you know, one month of going through all this. After one month of going through all these different, different plagues, and you know, now everything is thick darkness all around. And you're wondering, what's going to come next? In the darkness, is something going to happen new? which is going to, you know, sort of have more problems in my life. Now, this particular uh, uh, plague was targeting the Egyptian god Ra, which was actually the sun god, okay, and also Horus, who was the god of the sky. So, they're saying the sun god, you believe in the sun god, that is the most important deity for the Egyptians, you know, the Lord is saying, no, I'm the one who's in charge of the sun. Okay? I'm going to shut out the rays of the sun so that you're not going to get any sunlight at all. Thick darkness you know, would cover. Still, wanted to let them go, but then changed his mind. Okay? Changed his mind. Okay? Finally, finally, in Exodus 11, verses 4 to 5, he says, Thus says the Lord, about midnight, I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. Okay. This is the final warning that was given. Now, to emphasize that you don't have the power over life and death. God is the one who has that power. And before this China plague came in, the Lord instituted the Passover for the children of Israel. So that on that particular night, when the angel of death you know, moved through the streets, if they saw the blood, 
that was painted on the uh, doorway, they saw that blood, they passed over. And that is where the Passover festival comes in. And that is where the New Testament understanding of how Jesus became our Passover lamb also comes into place because of what Jesus has done for, on the done for us on the cross, because of his shed blood, when the angel of death looks at us, we are in the blood, covered by the blood, the angel of death passes over so that we are not punished in hell, but we are able to go to heaven as we respond to what Christ has done for us. So the Passover festival for the Jews was a type, was a shadow of what Jesus was going to do. So that there is only one way to God, and that is through the person of Jesus. That Jesus is the only individual who gives us life, who gives us life. And that's a truth that the Egyptians needed to recognize. And you know what happened once in a, that, uh, on that night, right from the topmost to the juniormost, and all the firstborn were killed. Pharaoh said, enough is enough, pack up and go, please go. You know? And he actually drove them out of you know, the land of Egypt. You know? Now, when you're looking at this passage of the 10 plagues, there are some important lessons we need to learn important lessons that we need to learn. Even though it is a literal story of the children of Israel being freed from Pharaoh and the land of Egypt, okay, so that they can from there go to the promised land that God had promised to give Abraham's descendants, it is also a picture of how God delivers us from Satan's slavery and our slavery to sin, okay? And that is the important lesson that God wants us to teach, to learn. God wants us to learn this important lesson that he takes us through different situations so that we are no longer slaves to sin, so that we have victory over sin in our lives, so that we don't do the same thing again and say, yes, I'm going to change, you know, like Pharaoh and go back to square one, so that we recognize who God is, that he indeed is the one who gives life, okay? And when we recognize what Jesus has done for us on the cross, respond to him, he comes into our lives, he changes our lives. Then when we are in Christ, we are indeed a brand new creature. And a couple of important lessons for us. We are living in a world where people do not know this truth. Okay, And you and I have a responsibility to share with them this truth of the gospel. The first important lesson to learn is that delivering people from bondage to sin is God's work, is God's work. Now, look at this passage. Is in the 10 plagues. There was so much of evidence, but still, Pharaoh did not really respond willingly. Even if he responded, he changed his mind. Now, you may share the gospel with someone else. You may share with excitement the fact that Jesus is the only way. Or... You may look into your own life and think of the bondage to sin that you are in, and you have been trying and trying and trying and trying to give up certain sins in your life. But you recognize that you cannot do it on your own. You cannot do it on your own. Deliverance is from God. He is the one who enables you. When he comes into our lives and takes control over our lives, then he is the one who delivers. 
reason for the plagues, remember, was so that they would know that Yahweh is God. And once we yield ourselves to God and he delivers us, then we too can have that encounter with God. And we can also say, yes, I know Jesus is God. He has power over sin. Now, important truths in this. Number one, God uses his inadequate servants who know him to be the instruments of delivering others. Now, who did God use? He used and Aaron with Pharaoh, who God is. Now, Moses was a guy who said, no, no, I cannot do it and I cannot speak. But God used Moses and Aaron. Now, God is not looking for people who know all the facts of Christianity to go share with someone else. God is only looking for people who would say, here I am, Lord, I'm willing. You have done this in my life. I want to share you with others. You help me, Lord. And if you're willing to do that, God says, okay, you're the best candidate because he's not looking at our abilities. He's looking at our availabilities. Inadequacy is an important criteria. If we think I know it all, God says, no, no, I can't use you. But if we say, Lord, here am I, you know, use me. I'm willing to learn. God says, I'm going to use you just as much as he used Moses and Aaron to deliver the children of Israel from the strong tyrant of Pharaoh. God is also able to use you and me even today to draw people out from their bondage to sin, their slavery to Satan, and give them life eternal because of what God can do in their life. But in order to do this, God's servants must faithfully and obediently deliver his message. All that God asks is, I will fill it. You go and speak to this person. You be obedient. You don't say not me. You don't say at some other time. As we are faithful and obedient to deliver the message that God has given to us, then we find that they would respond. Remember the Egyptians had a <coughs> temple for their snake god. So when Aaron actually threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh, okay, he was actually trying to tell him, hey, you have a snake god, I'm throwing your snake god down. You know? Your snake god has no authority. My god has authority over your snake god. And our job as individuals who know God is not to go and share, I'm right, you're wrong, but to help them to think through their faith, okay? to help them to you know, poke a hole in their philosophy. They think they are right. They think theirs is the only way. They think their faith is the right faith. But you and I know Jesus as God came down to earth to die for us, showing that he is the only way. So in your interactions, you need to have interactions with people around you so that you begin to understand their mindset, what they are thinking, and helping them to understand their need for Christ, helping them to understand their need for Christ. Maybe some of them will say, I'm depending on my good works to go to heaven. Now, you may say, how much good works do you need? You know, help them to think about it. You know, will 80% good works be sufficient to get to heaven? Who says that? What is the criteria? You know, help them to think through their faith. Okay? Now, this is our job. That is what evangelism is all about. Be faithful and obedient 
to deliver God's message, not your message. Not a message will say that you know, God will make you feel good here, God will give you you know, a lot of money, God will give you a lot of health, and if you come to him, no, no, that's not the message. The message is that Jesus died on the cross, and if you do not respond to him, there is no other way whatsoever. Thirdly, God's purpose in delivering his people is primarily his glory and only secondarily their happiness. Remember, the reason for delivering them was so that the Egyptians will know that God Yahweh is the one true God. And when God delivers us, okay, when God changes us, when God comes into our lives, you know, it is not so that we'll be a happy person. No, no. It is so that God gets the glory. God, glory in what sense? That his name is lifted up in the earth as individuals look at our lives and recognize, hey, here's a person. Here's a person who's a changed individual. How did that happen? He couldn't have done it on his own. God gets the credit. Or when you're going through hardship in life, no reason for happiness, but we are still joyful because we know God is in control. And people around ask, hey, how come? And then God gets the credit. So delivering people from bondage to sin is God's work. Secondly, delivering people from bondage to sin is a spiritual battle dependent on God's power over the forces of darkness. It's a spiritual battle. Remember, in these passages, you find Egyptian uh, magicians also did the same thing. Okay, water into blood, fine, I can also do it. Okay, now Satan's power sometimes seems comparable to God's power, but although it never is. Okay, now a person may say, Okay, I went, you know, God healed me. Another guy may say, Okay, I went to this temple, I went to this guru, I went to this you know, individual, and that person healed me. So, what's the big difference? Okay, Satan also heals, Satan also does miracles true. But Satan's power, even though it seems comparable to God's power, it never is. You know? Remember, when he threw down the rod, it became a snake. Other Egyptians also threw it down. You know? But what happened? Aaron's rod, Moses' rod, followed up these other rods as well. They don't have the power. It seems to be that they have a lot of power. And that is what Satan tries to do. And there are a lot of people today who worship Satan, may not be saying in so many words when they worship these idols, it's because of the demonic power that is exhibited. They think this is God's power, but this is not God's power. This is Satan's power. And in our sharing of the gospel, there's a spiritual battle that is involved. But this battle is dependent upon God's power over the forces of darkness. It is, you don't have to be afraid of Satan because the one who is in you is far, far greater. When we are in Christ, Satan is a defeated force, so his power has no control whatsoever. Secondly, miracles confirm the faith of believers but harden the hearts of proud skeptics. When and the Israelites saw these miracles, they would have definitely recognized, hey, our God is now there with us. We have 100% certainty. But when Pharaoh saw these same miracles, what happened? 
he did not really believe, he in fact became even more hardened. And that's the same thing, same attitude people will have today. Some people may say, you prove me that Jesus is the only way. And you sit down and prove them, but still they don't believe. Or they say, you know, you show me through some sign. Okay, sign is shown, power is shown. They have got what they asked for, but still they don't really want to believe, okay, that we are living in. Okay, remember impressive miracles are not the antidote for unbelief whole bunch of them, but miracles only confirm the faith of believers. Those whose hearts are open to him, when they see God's, God at work, they rejoice even more. Who don't want to see the hand of God, even if miracles come in, they still don't believe. Jesus' resurrection is the greatest miracle that has happened in history, but still even knowing about that, there are people who would still not believe in Jesus. Thirdly, when evil leaders persist in their opposition to God, their people suffer under them. It's an important truth, okay? Those in leadership who are not willing to give in to God, as a result, the people under them are so much living in oppression. So we need to definitely pray for these leaders, that God will soften their hearts. Because to deliver people from bondage to sin is a spiritual battle in which God must soften their hearts. Chapter 7 itself, in a, the scripture says, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, or he hardened his heart. Okay? Now, we are in a spiritual battle. Sharing the gospel with others, in a, we need to remember that, that unless God does his work in their lives, they are not going to change. So we need to ask God to soften their hearts. When we pray for them, God softens their hearts. When we pray for them, God removes the blinds from their eyes which Satan has put across so that they don't hear and understand the truth of God. Begin to be involved in praying for your loved ones who do not know the Lord. Begin to pray for your friends who do not know the Lord and begin to look for opportunities to share Christ with them. Not necessarily, I'm right that you are wrong concept, but sit down with them, interact with them, help them to understand why their belief systems is not really in a sort of fixing everything together of how Christianity can answer their inmost questions and needs. Finally, two simple practical things that we can do. Number one, get some training on how to present the gospel. Get some training. Learn the basics. Learn the basics about how all mankind is sinners. What is sin? Learn some basics about how Jesus has paid for the sin of the whole world, past, present, future. Learn those basics about why Jesus has become the perfect sacrifice, how, how Jesus' sacrifice for sin has been accepted, and what a person needs to do so that he or she can be changed from within and have the very life of God living in them. Pick up the Bible passages, memorize them, go for some training which would help you to present the gospel very clearly. But don't trust in your training. 
just because they've gone through some training, don't say, now I can change the world. No. Facts clearly. But when you're sharing, share it with an attitude of, Lord, you open their eyes. Unless you change them, nothing will work out. Lord, they are hard-hearted like Pharaoh, but you can change their hearts. Pray for them and expect God to do his work. And finally, since delivering people from bondage to sin is God's work, depend on his path. Put on his armor and pray for opportunities and boldness. Remember, it's not your job to convert anybody. Your job is only to share. Only to share who Jesus is and what he has done in your life. Depend on his path to use your words, inadequate as may be, to transform their lives. And pray, putting on God's armor, God's armor. Recognizing that you are covered by his protection. And as you look for opportunities, that God will grant you boldness. And my prayer is that even this week, you would look for such opportunities. You would look for such individuals, your friends, that you would begin to start praying for them, that you would recognize that they need that deliverance, that they are caught up in bondage, like the children of Israel were for 400 years to deliver. And maybe this evening, if you are living in a bondage to sin, you too can experience that freedom as you put your life in the hands of God and say, God, here's my life. Set me free. Pray together.